everyone. My name is Catherine Gorley, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today for another episode of the Injury Prevention Academy, a podcast brought to you by Dorn Companies, the country's leading wellness-based pain management and injury prevention company. Dorn is committed to reducing costs of healthcare and workers' compensation, as well as reducing lost productivity, which has resulted in over $120 million in savings over the last 20 years for our clients. Joining us today is Mark Heisman. Uh, Mark has spent the last seven years integrating technologies into workplace safety with Australian company Longitude 6. With an eye on global change, Mark challenges traditional pathways and presents ideas on how safer workplaces can be achieved by reducing MSD injuries. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you so much for being able uh, to, to join us from Australia. You're welcome. It's not too early in the morning, so I'm happy. <laughs> oh, good. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, I first wanted uh, to kind of ask the question, because Longitude uh, 6 is so immersed in utilizing technology into safety, and I know that utilizing that technology is quickly becoming one of the key components of modern injury prevention programs. So why do you think so many companies are still on the fence when it comes to using safety tech for workplace safety and injury prevention? Yeah, it's interesting that that's the case. Um, You've got a complex world. You've got uh, organisations have many decision-making elements to their business, um, from finance to operations to risk um, to HR. I don't always think they are combined in their approach to things. Um, And then the marketplace is equally as fragmented. So you'll have uh, risk management organisations, you'll have on-site providers, you'll have pre-employment providers and return to work providers and and everything in amongst it. And again, they're not always cohesive in what they offer an organisation. So I think there's a lot of confusion. Uh, I think historically companies have been able to manage their risk by just ad-libbing and taking a hit on things that they need to deal with. And insurance has always been there as a backup. Um, And look, to be brutally honest, I think a lot of technology companies have been their own worst enemy in the fact that they're confusing with what they say their products do. Um, I'm not sure they always do what they say they'll do. And and so it's a a hard world for an organisation to make a decision about what would help them. So I think that, that there's a lot of reasons, but I think there are all of those assist in uh, making it hard. Yeah, and it, and it kind of sounds like I'd say the main the main issue with implementing those tends to be, I think, that communication, right? Making sure that everyone is on the same page when it comes to why technology is so important, but then also how to implement that across all the different aspects of the company, correct? Yeah, very much. Um, And when we meet people, we find people that are a little bit innovative in their thinking uh, and then we spend time with them and then they've got to try and do an internal sell. Um, And that can be all the reasons that I mentioned before, but probably even more so with the workforce because the workforce, you know, they're there to do work and make an income. um, And uh, sometimes the decisions that are made around technologies can be seen to be intrusive to that process for them. Um, then you've got cultural issues. It's a it's a complex world. <laughs> so 
Oh no, absolutely. And I think that's one of the, the issues that, that, that sometimes we see within those high risk occupations, like in manufacturing, like in distribution, you know, people have, they, they almost have a mentality of, I don't want to report any strains from happening because they think it might affect the job that they're doing or it might have supervisors think it's going to prevent them from doing the job they're doing. So, so you see some, some communication kind of barriers in that, I think, uh, sometimes and not realizing that tech, you know, different technologies are just there to help them with that. Yeah, uh, look, that's a really good point that you bring up because, um, you know, I, I think uh, for a worker to disclose they've got an injury, I mean, particularly some workforces. So if you look in the aged care or assisted living market, uh, a lot of people are middle-aged when they're doing care work for elderly, mm -hmm. um, predominantly women um, who don't um, own up to having carrying injuries because they're used to it. They're probably tougher than guys in some ways. Um, and But they, they'll keep going until they actually hurt themselves. And... Um, and companies may rely on that, I mean, so they don't have to address things. So it is complex again, um, but you do have the issue of workers as we're getting older and people are employing people that are older now, so you've got aging workforce, which are involved, and, and a diminished market of workers. People are putting themselves into bad places and so are companies without really putting in the availability of strategies and technologies that may assist that process. So. Yeah, and um, I know that you know you you mentioned senior living and and being able to to assist with that aging workforce. Uh, do you find uh, that 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 really carries over into a lot of the other um, a lot of the other you know I'd say high risk fields? So so different you know different fields like supply chain and distribution, they tend to rely a little bit more on that aging workforce because they have that experience, they, they, they have that, that know-all of being able to, to see risk, but also being able to complete that job task where maybe some of those new hire orientations that occur, you're trying to get them to that point, right? Um, how does that kind of thinking move forward with the different fields, right? Of being able to communicate those, I'd say the need for, for technology um, support. I think, um, you know, if you look at traditional understandings, like we've all, we all know that the logging industry, distribution, trucking, mining, manufacturing, uh, robust jobs and people get hurt because that's historically what's happened. So there's been a lens to that that's been quite simple. Then in the background, you've got things around aged care, healthcare, um, people that are handling people, um, that it hasn't been as loud and noise about it for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, and yet if you use technologies to analyze the requirements of a job or what happens to a human being when they're lifting another person um, or when they're cleaning bedding or whatever they do and it's fascinating to look at the data of that compared to the data of say someone doing something more visually um, obvious that it's aggressive and quite often the, the data will belie the actual eyes of what your eyes are telling you um, 
And I think as companies are doing that more now, they're starting to understand that the risk to people, the reason people are getting hurt in certain industries a lot is because of who that person is, their age and the demands of the job. So it's not, I think technology can add a lot of value to removing the unknowns, if that makes sense. Right. And, and, and you make a good point of understanding that strains are occurring across the board, right? Just because you're not seeing someone lift a log doesn't mean that those same muscles are not at risk when someone is lifting a person or even someone, I mean, people can, can hurt themselves even if they're not lifting anything at all. It's, it's just maintaining that center of gravity and making sure that you're not putting yourself at risk by even like letting those knees go over your ankles. And, and now, I mean, you could go over, right? And, and you're not lifting anything at all. So it's, it's interesting to see that, that education happening, I think, as even just like the last 10 years have shown. Yeah, and, and look, it's a great conversation you can have over a cup of coffee or something. But, um, right. you know, if you think about a, a person going out into the field and picking up logs or, you know, to your point, big heavy items that they do all day, every day, they know what they're doing predominantly and they'll cope. But you go and pick up a person who all of a sudden moves a different direction to what you're expecting. Um are you ready for that? And is your body capable of dealing with that? Or if you go to someone that's doing a lot of fine motor skills, so it's fascinating to watch some of the injury profiles of organisations where people are doing very small movements all day, like an abattoir or a meat processing plant compared to a logging. Um, and it's because people are doing very fine movement and we're not designed for that as humans either. Um, mm -hmm. And again, how do I use information and technology and data to validate a change in what we're doing? Um, and that's the power of it, but it's also the complexity of it because some people, some organisations don't want to know. So, right. Or, or, or maybe don't understand the, the ways to combat that. Yep. And that's right? true. Um, now, now, you have experience working with obviously a, a variety of, of high-risk occupations, and I know you have experience in supply chain and distribution. So, so how do you carry forward that communication and education for those best safety practices when you have employees who are, I mean, truly remote um, and, and really all, all over the world? I think... Um... It's just getting down to consulting, I suppose, and I don't like the word, but if, if you spend time to understand an organisation's um, drivers, their DNA and their difference between another organisation, then you can tailor a conversation that will help them. Um, if you go in with a cookie cutter approach to everyone saying this is what you should need, um, I'm not sure how that works. So... Um, for us, we spend a lot of time understanding. So we'll do work with a little organisation in Tasmania, in Australia, a little mining company that have 25 or 17 people out in the field, so not many. Mm -hmm. And then we'll also we'll talk to a major insurer who have thousands of clients uh, in the US. So we're, we're quite lucky in the fact that we're very nimble in our approach because we don't have a one solution fits all approach anyway. So. Right. And I think that's something that a lot of companies need to, need to understand of, you know, how to tailor it for their employees. Like mm. you said, this isn't this isn't, well, here you go. It worked somewhere else. Let's do it here. Well, how how can you 
how can you make sure that that is speaking to the employees, whether it is, um, you know, we all have different ways of learning, whether it's visual, whether, whether it's auditory, you know, how, how do you make that work for your employees? Mm. I think, um, and looking again, companies are, are really grappling with how to work through their insurers and their other carriers and their, and their own day-to-day focuses. So um, I think it's really an important element for a company to find a supplier, whether it's whoever they're using. So an organisation needs to find a supplier that works with them in the context of them. Um, and their needs. If you can find a supplier, whoever it is that does that, then you, you're on a long path of, of getting some good results, I assume. So, That's great. Now, now, what do you see is the big difference? Because you're, you're in Australia, I'm in the United States. What do you find are the key differences when, when you're looking at uh, implementing or even continuing a workplace injury prevention program? It's a really interesting question. So we work across the US, the UK and Australia predominantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, the last few years, the US has been a busier place for us than Australia even. Um, but the differences are legislation frames a lot of the ways that organisations behave, obviously. Um, so they're quite different. Uh, Australia is very conservative, as we all know, and um, and we have a lot of rules to cover everything we do in life. Um, so therefore, we, we're pretty good in that sense. But America has a very different culture of being quite focused on responsibility and you pay for something if you cause it or you pay for something or, and you fight it if you don't want to pay for it. So it's quite a different environment. But I have noticed a massive change in the US in the last two to three years where companies are becoming a lot more innovative in how they approach what are traditionally old issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, America's always been an innovative country, but I think in the workplace, with, with workplace injuries, it possibly has been very traditional in what it does. I think that's changed. Um, quite a lot but in America I I think people are starting to look at how to same issues though um, how do you find staff retain staff protect staff and look after them because they're becoming a very well-known problem for companies in not being able to get people so I think we're all very similar to be honest okay and 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 when it comes to you know, when, when it comes to, to those differences, right, uh, do you mm. find that that gap is widening or do you find that that gap is closing in terms of even the way that, that you communicate to different kinds of employees, uh, but maybe in the way that you're, that you're kind of building those steps? I think we're very compliant in Australia in the way we apply to things and we're very conservative. But I think America is very careful with everything. So mm-hmm. employers won't um, won't jump to something unless they're convinced it'll make a difference, which is, which is good. It puts pressure on the supplier to validate that they'll make a difference. In the UK, people need proof in writing that everything will work um, and they take forever to sort of go to a certain place. But when they do, they make it quite solid um i I think america for we love working in america because i think when people make something happen they make it happen quickly so it's exciting but there's a fair process of validation and and relationship development and understanding before it goes there australia will play very quickly on a concept and just i think we have a bit of an adage of i should be right we'll just give it a go and have a crack and 
we're a bit more flippant at that on the lower end, uh, and America aren't. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're nuanced differences, but but it's fun. It's all part okay. of it. Yeah, and and I know you know you mentioned how it's changed a little bit over the last two or three years, and mm. and, and and obviously I I can see that reasoning for um, you know kind of happening because of COVID, uh, but I can also see that reasoning happening with maybe a lot of the American baby boomers uh, starting to retire. Um, mm -hmm. And having those uh, Gen X and millennial workforces kind of becoming that bulk part of a company's organization. So mm -hmm. how does that how does that then change when obviously baby boomers they they didn't grow up with having a lot of that technology, um, whereas you know the Gen X and the millennials did. Do you find that you have greater success sometimes in in establishing technology? with those different um, different generations? Or is it kind of the same across the board? Yeah, it's pretty close to being the same across the board. Um, okay. I mean, the logic you apply is logical and, and you would assume very likely. Um, and there's no doubt younger people adapt and adopt things much easier and quicker because it's part of how they operate. Um, but I think we've all been around tech a lot now. Anyone that's working, I think even just going into computer, you need the, the, a state of mind every morning to open the thing up because you don't know what's going to come up. Um, so I think we're a lot more savvy than we were. Um, but uh, no, I don't think, in my version, my my experience has been, it hasn't been reliant on someone being young and, and uh, focused on tech as a solution, so. Oh, okay, which yeah. which is actually kind of nice to hear. And, and, and I'm mm. sure that's changed. Um, I think, you know, even say, um, kind of 20 years ago, which I I always think is not as far away as it was. Um, but, you know, I, I, I see a lot of people, I think, more easily integrating technology into the things they're doing, because I think it's a little more kind of all-encompassing now. I think that's a big piece to it, isn't it, um, Catherine? Because tech's part of everything we do now even people are used to apps now so when we talk about an app being available for a worker to get their exercises for the day it's not particularly foreign um and, and in fact there's not an expectation that it is available so i think we've all become a lot more savvy around tech and yeah tech and i think even little wonderful moments like covid all of a sudden we're qr coding to go into a shop for a coffee and like you know, it wasn't long ago, you had to just bring your wallet with a bit of cash. And now, you know, no one even uses it. People use the phone to pay. So I think our world's very different. Um, predominantly. Right. Yeah, I think five years ago, I'm not sure I could have told you what a QR code was, just personally. <laughs> uh, but but, yeah. but now they're everywhere. It's it's yeah, very, it's, it's something that I think everyone has gotten used to using. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And um, and look, and I think now companies are looking for ways to make information move better and more appropriately and um, use information to make decisions. So technology will continue to be a big, big part of what happens in the future, I suspect. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I'm really seeing talking with different countries, or, or I'm sorry, um, different companies around the country is there's always that question as to how to implement technology into their safety programs. And we yeah. actually are seeing a lot of companies more interested um, in wearable technology, but also investing in wearable technology. And that's something that I think is becoming more and more 
common. So I know that wearable technology really prides itself in forming and actually showing a clear view on how to reduce ergonomic injuries. And so how, how do you think that it's, that is achievable through wearable tech? It's a seriously important question. Um, the amount of, earlier you asked me about the take up of technology in business and why that sometimes is a bit slower than it could be. Um, mm -hmm. And I made the comment that, you know, the confusion around what a piece of technology can do and deliver and how it is, is big. I mean, it's a big issue, confusion. Um, you know, I'll hear that a certain piece of technology can do things that just blow me away because I can't. And, um, and so I think it's really important for an organisation to understand the technology that they're looking at, what it will deliver and trial it. <coughs> Excuse me. Because the disappointment, apart from the cost of putting in the wrong technology, could put your organisation back years because you won't go again for a while. Um, and there's a lot of people aren't necessarily accurate portraying what their product can do. Um, there are so many, so many technologies out there and they all do good things, uh, but they're all very different. Um, so you have to map and understand that really carefully, I think. So, okay. And so it's, it's understanding where, I think potentially where some of the issues that you're looking to combat, but then also um, what is the best way to shine a light on those issues, right? And I yeah. know that a lot of wearable technology, um, they either use like say exoskeletons or they use cameras to, to really show you how people are moving. Is that something right. that you're seeing having that that tailored approach working? Yeah, it goes back to what we're saying about what, what are you trying to achieve? If you're using an exoskeleton, do you know what you're trying to achieve? Do you know how long it takes to put this exoskeleton on? Do mm -hmm. you know that it actually changes the physical movement or not? Um, and, and it may protect a person, so that's good, but does it actually create other issues? Um, but then I also think it's around the support. So quite often an organisation does not have the capacity to use technology well and will rely on another party to help them. So it could be a physiotherapy group or an on-site supplier um, or someone else that actually is the, the mechanism to make a technology sit and work um, because companies quite often don't have the time to do that them, themselves potentially. Right, and, and I think one of the, the common issues that, um, that some companies have is they're very excited to get a wearable tech program kind of going, whether it's a pilot program um, or even just you know, a specific project, but then they're not sure how to take the next step. You know, they, they've seen the results, they've received the results, and they know where the issues are, but how can they take that next step as, into actually implementing those, those findings? Yeah, and again, another really good point. And, and in fact, I had a meeting earlier this morning and we were talking about that point exactly. Some companies don't understand that, that when you use a technology and you can validate a pathway of change, there's a couple of things have to happen. One, you have to have the money and the desire to make the changes um, and you have to have the culture to make the changes. If you don't have those things in hand, you've got to question why you'd even use technology to validate a pathway because 
uh, as fun as it might be um, using it, then you've got to do something with the information. So, um, which I think is the ultimate part of the whole story. So. Right, and, and, and just as, as an example, I know that uh, we work with a manufacturer here in the US and they see a lot of repetitive motion strains with their shoulder. And I know if they, if they actually had that wearable tech, they would now see it just in full view right of absolutely the shoulder is an issue the neck you know the forearm anything that is is connected and obviously understanding how connected those are now how can you actually work with the individual employees uh, on proper biomechanics but how can you even make i'd say small changes to the way that that job is performed so you're not getting that in the first place yeah, you got it. I mean, that's all the game to me. I mean, you use data and technology because you can measure things that you can't do with your eyes necessarily or with other equipment. Um, and you're taking away the subjectivity. So the idea of a measuring device being a piece of technology is that you can get granular with what you're doing, with your changes, and you can test those changes. So if you can't do all that and you don't do it, um, there's possibly no point. <laughs> so, right. uh, just spot on. I mean, that's the beauty of technology where you can make very small changes that can make a significant difference. So, right. And I think uh, part of that is making sure that when you're when you're looking at some of the issues that that you've been having, how to form those plans in order to combat that. Right. So yeah. I know that in our, our talks right now with different companies, you know, a lot of people are forming their budgets for the year and, and they tend to look at the past budgets when they're forming their safety goals of, you know, absolutely, this is what has worked, but not taking into account the, I'd say, the, the ever changing focus that I think safety tends to take, but also how their workforce is changing. So what, what do you believe are the three, I'll say three, you know, main components of forming a safety budget that it, it leaves room for expansion based on the, le the lessons that a company has learned, uh, but how does it kind of have a future goal in mind? I think, um... You know, the old three-letter word, you know, ROI is really important, but the ROI analysis has to in include the loss of a person, even for a month or a year or whatever, um, the cost of that obvious, the obvious cost to that, but also the other cost, replacing that person, the lack of productivity, cultural impacts. I think that's one element that if you don't put your head to that, you, you're running a little bit blind. Um, I think to go and spend money on a service or a technology without trialing and testing for a period and then really challenging whether um, there's a better way of doing something, I think that's a mistake. So from my point of view, I'd make that a very big focus about mm -hmm. establishing trials and tests with people. Um, and I guess ultimately you just have to work out what you're trying to achieve. I mean, if, if you're not hurting people regularly, but you're struggling to get people to join your organisation or you're struggling to maintain people in the organisation, maybe that's the measure you should be worried about. And maybe technologies and investment should be focused on that. And I'm sure most companies are doing that to looking at their needs and, and working to that. But I, they're the three areas I look at, just um, people, validation, and, and just return on investment. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a really good point. I know that a lot of different companies are experiencing a lot of high turnover. And that can be everything from, you know, the shifting tide of the pandemic to people even changing fields over the last couple of years. We're seeing a lot of high turnover because of that, where people have either returned to old jobs and decided not to not to continue, or even going into new fields and going, hmm, maybe I should have gone back to this one, right? Uh, so are, are you experiencing or seeing a lot of uh, a lot of that with Australian companies as well? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> You know the old story when you put two pairs or a pair of socks in the washing machine and you only get one back. Um, right. I, I'm fascinated how every company is struggling to find people, so I don't know where they've all gone. That everyone's just right. disappeared. Um, so in that, what I hear a lot of, and we talk to a lot of clients about, is that they're really some companies in Australia, particularly, have even dropped pre-employment analysis. They oh. don't do it um, because they, there's no point. One, they're not necessarily happy with the the service they were getting, that's a different conversation. Um, right. But the other one is that they need people. If they're living and breathing, they'll take them. Um, so then there's a whole host of issues around who it is you're employing and how do you make them safe and look after them. But, yeah, I think um, finding and retaining staff at the moment is obviously a priority, but it shouldn't be, it should be looked in harmony with how to make it safe. I think it's too easy to say that's my only priority because if you're doing that, you're going to have a problem in two or three years without mm -hmm. tailoring your approach to finding people and keeping them to a safe way for them to work. Otherwise, you're defeating your purpose because you're going to have to keep looking for people. So, yeah, absolutely. And and having, you know, if if you're constantly having to, to hire new people, it kind of keeps you, I think, ultimately from, from achieving some of those long-term goals because mm -hmm. it's, it's constantly kind of looking back and making sure everything's okay, but mm -hmm. trying to, to find that, that pathway forward. I think a, a lot of companies, especially in safety, are, are trying to implement ways to help all employees, regardless of whether they are the new hires or whether they've been there for five, 10, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and that's one of the really big positives that have come out on that a lot of companies are applying initiatives now that they probably wouldn't have done a few years ago, um, which is nice. You know, I, I guess when some of the more traditional risk managers as a title move on, uh, or change their views that may also keep contributing to the changing workplace. Um, I think some people are still stuck in the way things used to be, and but that'll change. I mean, they'll go and uh, newer and more progressive thoughts will come through. So, um, so I think it's a good story. But um, and again, tools like technology will become part of it, and then companies that embrace it. So service providers, um, on-site providers, physiotherapy groups, treatment groups, and all that that embrace that change they're mm -hmm. also moving, moving ahead of the game so, yeah um, now um what in closing what would your recommendations be for ehs directors you know safety managers who want their overall programs to be successful and and how do they measure that success so if i was going so this is not an ad, but the way we approach things, and it's not an ad, but the way we approach things is if you look at just what happens within your business, in the operation, around how people work, like with equipment or manual handling training or something of the like, that will make a difference. But if you do not consider 
what you think about when you're employing people and how you bring them into your business, how they're fit and able to do the work, what you do when they get early signs of niggles and injuries, and then if they do get injured and come back to work. If you don't look at that whole ecosystem of people working in your organisation, you're not going to make a sustainable and, and significant impact into injury prevention because there's so many elements to it. So my suggestion is that if I was an EHS manager in an organisation, I'd be looking across the whole spectrum of people and, and every touch point for people and looking at what you could do. I would also put a lot of pressure on providers to actually validate their purpose and their success um, and, and then just keep reverting back to historic numbers to see if those things are happening so you are developing an ROI. So that, that would be my approach. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for joining us at the Injury Prevention Academy. You're welcome. It's been nice to chat, Catherine. Thank you. Yeah, and, and thank you to our viewers for tuning in. Please join us next time to learn more about the innovative steps and programs taking place in today's world of safety. Mm -hmm.